I've been travelling since I read to you last, and am now in fact speaking from a foreign place, where I've brought my microphone and my computer and my voice, and everything else I need to read a story to you from afar, except a story, a minor oversight. And while I could easily just use our mutual friend, the internet, to find something quickly, it's much more fun to run around a new city's bookshops looking for something timely and topical and relevant. Fortunately, I'm in one of those towns that still has plenty of these, so we all win. And if the sounds of this town from behind my voice sound like your town, you should let me know and we'll go drink some whiskey. Or tea. Good evening. It's Saturday, the 19th of December, 2009. And it's Miet's Bedtime Story Podcast. Emmy Moore's Journal by Jane Bowles On certain days, I forget why I'm here. Today, once again, I wrote my husband all the reasons for coming. He encouraged me to come each time I was in doubt. He said that the worst danger for me was a state of vagueness, so I wrote to him telling him why I had come to the Hotel Henry, my eighth letter on the subject, but with each new letter I strengthen my position. I am reproducing the letter here. Let there be no mistake. My journal is intended for publication. I want to publish for glory but also in order to aid other women. This is the letter to my husband, Paul Moore, to whom I have been married 16 years. I am childless. He is of North Irish descent and a very serious lawyer, also a solitary and lover of the country. He knows all mushrooms bushes and trees, and he is interested in geology. But these interests do not exclude me. He is sympathetic towards me, and kindly. He wants very much for me to be happy, and worries because I am not. He knows everything about me, including how much I deplore being the feminine kind of woman that I am. In fact, I am unusually feminine for an American of Anglo stock, born in Boston. I am almost a Turkish type. Not physically, at least not entirely, because though fat, I have ruddy Scotch cheeks and my eyes are round and not slanted or almond-shaped. But sometimes I feel certain that I exude an atmosphere very similar to theirs, the Turkish women's, and then I despise myself. I find the women in my country so extraordinarily manly and independent. 
capable of leading regiments, or of fending for themselves on desert islands if necessary. These are poor examples, but I am getting my point across. For me, it is an experience simply to have come here alone to the Hotel Henry and to eat my dinner and lunch by myself. If possible, before I die, I should like to become a little more independent and a little less Turkish than I am now. Before I go any further, I had better say immediately that I mean no offence to Turkish women. They are probably busy combating the very same Turkish quality in themselves that I am controlling in me. I understand, too, though this is irrelevant, that many Turkish women are beautiful, and I think that they have discarded their veils. Any other American woman would be sure of this. She would know one way or the other whether the veils had been discarded, whereas I am afraid to come out with a definite statement. I have a feeling that they really have got rid of their veils, but I won't swear to it. Also, if they have done so, I have no idea when they did. Was it many years ago? Or recently? Here is my letter to Paul Moore, my husband, in which there is more about Turkish women. Since I am writing this journal with a view to publication, I do not want to ramble on as though I had all the space in the world. No publisher would attempt printing an enormous journal written by an unknown woman. It would be too much of a financial risk. Even I, with my ignorance of all matters pertaining to business, know this much. But they may print a small one. My letter, written yesterday, the morrow of my drunken evening in the blue bonnet room when I accosted the society salesman. Dearest Paul, I cannot simply live out my experiment here at the Hotel Henry without trying to justify or at least explain in letters my reasons for being here. And, with fair regularity, you encouraged me to write whenever I felt I needed to clarify my thoughts. But you did tell me that I must not feel the need to justify my actions. However, I do feel the need to justify my actions, and I am certain that until the prayed-for metamorphosis has occurred, I shall go on feeling just this need. Oh, how well I know that you would interrupt me at this point and warn me against expecting too much. So I shall say, in lieu of metamorphosis, the prayed-for improvement. But until then I must justify myself every day. Perhaps you will get a letter every day. On some days the need to write lodges itself in my throat like a cry that must be uttered. As for the Turkish problem, I am coming to it. You must understand that I am an admirer of Western civilization, that is, of the women who are members of this group. I feel myself that I fall short of being a member, that by some curious accident I was not born in Turkey, but should have been. 
because of my usual imprecision, I cannot even tell how many countries belong to what we call Western civilization. But I believe Turkey is the place where East meets West, isn't it? I can just about imagine the women there. From what I have heard about the country and the pictures I have seen of it, as for being troubled or obsessed by real Oriental women, I am not. I refer to the Chinese, Japanese, Hindus, and so on. Naturally, I am less concerned with the Far Eastern women because there is no danger of my being like them. The Turkish women are just near enough. The Far Eastern ones are so very far away at the opposite end of the earth that they could easily be just as independent and masculine as the women of the Western world. The ones living in between the two masculine areas would be soft and feminine. Naturally, I don't believe this for a minute, but still, the real Orientals are so far away and such a mystery to me that it might as well be true. Whatever they are, it couldn't affect me. They look too different from the way I look, whereas Turkish women don't. Their figures are exactly like mine. Alas! Now I shall come to the point. I know full well that you will consider the above discourse a kind of joke. Or, if you don't, you will be irritated with me for making statements of such a sweeping and inaccurate nature. For surely you will consider the picture of the world that I present as inaccurate. I myself know that this concept of the women, all three sets, Western, Middle and Eastern, is a puerile one. It could even be called downright idiotic. Yet I assure you that I see things this way. If I relax even a little and look through my own eyes into what is really inside my head... Though because of my talent for mimicry I am able to simulate looking through the eyes of an educated person when I wish to. Since I am giving you such a frank picture of myself, I may as well go the whole hog and admit to you that my secret picture of the world is grossly inaccurate. I have completely forgotten to include in it any of the Latin countries, France, Italy, Spain. For instance, I have jumped from the Anglo world to the semi-Oriental as if there were no countries in between at all. I know that these exist. I have even lived in two of them. But they do not fit into my scheme. I just don't think about the Latins very much. And this is less understandable than my not thinking about the Chinese or Javanese or Japanese women. You can see why without my having to explain it to you. I do know that the French women are more interested in sports than they used to be. And for all I know, they may be indistinguishable from Anglo women by now. I haven't been to France recently, so I can't be sure. But in any case, the women of those countries don't enter into my picture of the world. Or shall I say that the fact of having forgotten utterly to consider them 
has not altered the way I visualize the division of the world's women. Incredible, though it may seem to you, it hasn't altered anything. My having forgotten all Latin countries, South America included. I want you to know the whole truth about me, but don't imagine that I wouldn't be capable of concealing my ignorance from you if I wanted to. I am so wily and feminine that I could live by your side for a lifetime and deceive you afresh every day. But I will have no truck with feminine wiles. I know how they can absorb the hours of the day. Many women are delighted to sit around spinning their webs. It is an absorbing occupation, and the women feel they are getting somewhere. And so they are, but only for as long as the man is there to be deceived. And a wily woman alone is a pitiful sight to behold, naturally. I shall try to be honest with you, so that I can live with you, and yet won't be pitiful. Even if tossing my feminine tricks out the window means being left no better than an illiterate backwoodsman, or the bottom fish scraping along the ocean bed, I prefer to have it this way. Now I am too tired to write more, though I don't feel that I have clarified enough or justified enough. I shall write you soon about the effect the war has had upon me. I have spoken to you about it, but you have never seemed to take it very seriously. Perhaps seeing in black and white what I feel will affect your opinion of me. Perhaps you will leave me. I accept the challenge. My Hotel Henry experience includes this risk. I got drunk two nights ago. It's hard to believe that I'm 47, isn't it? My love, Emmy. Now that I have copied this letter into my journal, I had forgotten to make it carbon, I shall take my walk. My scheme included a few weeks of solitude at the Hotel Henry before attempting anything. I did not even intend to write in my journal as soon as I started to, but simply to sit about collecting my thoughts, waiting for the knots of habit to undo themselves. But after only a week here, two nights ago, I felt amazingly alone and disconnected from my past life. So I began my journal. My first interesting contact was the salesman in the blue bonnet room. I had heard about this eccentric through my in-laws, the Moors, before I ever came up here. My husband's cousin, Lawrence Moore, told me about him when he heard I was coming. He said, take a walk through Grey and Bottle's department store and you'll see a man with a lean red face and reddish hair selling materials by the bolt. That man has an income and is related to Hewitt Mullane. He doesn't need to work. He was in my fraternity, then he disappeared. The next I heard of him, he was working there at Grey and Bottle's. I stopped by and said hello to him. For a nut... He seemed like a very decent chap. 
You might even have a drink with him. I think he's quite up to general conversation. I did not mention Lawrence Moore to the society salesman because I thought it might irritate him. I lied and pretended to have been here for months, when actually this is still only my second week at the Hotel Henry. I want everyone to think I've been here for a long time. Surely it is not to impress them. Is there anything impressive about a lengthy stay at the Hotel Henry? Any sane person would be alarmed that I should even ask such a question. I ask it because deep in my heart I do think a lengthy stay at the Hotel Henry is impressive. Very easy to see that I would, and even sane of me to think it impressive, but not sane of me to expect anyone else to think so. Particularly a stranger. Perhaps I simply like to hear myself telling it. I hope so. I shall write some more tomorrow, but now I must go out. I'm going to buy a supply of cocoa. When I'm not drunk, I like to have a cup of cocoa before going to sleep. My husband likes it too. She could not stand the overheated room a second longer. With some difficulty, she raised the window and the cold wind blew in. Some loose sheets of paper went skimming off the top of the desk and flattened themselves against the bookcase. She shut the window, and they fell to the floor. The cold air had changed her mood. She looked down at the sheets of paper. They were part of the letter she had just copied. She picked them up. I don't feel that I have clarified enough or justified enough, she read. She closed her eyes and shook her head. She'd been so happy copying this letter into her journal, but now her heart was faint as she scanned its scattered pages. I have said nothing, she muttered to herself in alarm. I've said nothing at all. I've not clarified my reasons for being at the Hotel Henry. I have not justified myself. Automatically, she looked around the room. A bottle of whiskey stood on the floor beside one of the legs of the bureau. She stepped forward, picked it up by the neck, and settled with it into her favourite wicker chair. Chapter 7 